0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So the, the, just a quick overview of why we're doing this class. Um, I, I did last year a, uh, I do this kind of study every three years where I just interview students and I ask them what it's like to be a teenager. I ask them about partying and social media and school and relationship with parents and social life and all this kind of stuff. And um, I'm an old school nerd. I, I, I really enjoyed doing my thesis when I did a master's in education, doing like qualitative research. And so I love just kind of listening to them and I just gained so much. And I tell them, I was like, you know, part of the reason I do this is so that I can kind of advocate for you with your parents and help your parents, you know, love and guide you better. And so one of the, the, the biggest thing we found is that um, parents are really afraid. <laughs> parents are really afraid. And we could, I heard this from the kids. Kids felt very controlled and micromanaged, and um, sadly, I don't mean for anybody to feel ashamed of this. But when I ask kids, "What's the biggest source of your stress in your life?" Um, unlike five years ago when I did this, they all, they collectively across the board, all said their parents are their biggest source of stress and anxiety. And what it seemed to be the the driving thing is parents parents are afraid, and they're trying to control everything, and so. Um, that is that is why we're doing this series is how is it uh you know when we as parents are afraid um we do project that on our kids our kids can sense that and uh we can all know that from our own experience so you know growing up in houses we had parents who um you know i i i can remember my mom just being just a mess being so so anxious <laughs> before my sporting events you know before my swim meets you know or before my cross-country race for my basketball game or my basketball tryouts and you can sense that you can smell it like dogs right kids are like dogs they can smell fear um and so anyhow so basically um but uh we basically we can also um what we want what we want to do is we want to parent from a place of peace from a place um, of wisdom and where we're operating out of confidence in god's love and, and god's faithfulness and, uh, and so where we approach our relationship with our kids and the decisions we make as a family from a place of peace and wisdom, trusting in the Lord's wisdom, not um, trusting in the Lord's faithfulness, and not out of fear. And so just to review kind of our, our paradigm, you've got it on your sheet here, but kind of our paradigm and, and guiding concept is you have good fear and you have bad fear. Um, good fear is uh, an awe, respect, and adoration for the Lord God. Good fear is based in the truth of who God is. Um, it leads us to trust God, and it leads us to draw closer to the Lord. And good fear helps us to live and to make decisions out of peace, patience, and wisdom. So that's good fear. Um, bad fear is where we are afraid of God. We are we are um, we are fearful of the Lord, not in the biblical sense, but we are afraid of God. It's based on a false view of who God is. Who God is. Um, it is not based on the truth of His character. Uh, bad fear leads us to control, to hyper-control and micromanage, not trust the Lord. And it leads us to withdrawal, to, to kind of operate as the lone ranger. And then finally, it leads us to make decisions out of fear, doom, and haste. So that's not what we want. So we're, we're hoping to, to live out of good fear. So today, um, what we're going to talk about is, um, last week we talked about f- fear of judgment of the group, fear of other people's judgment, whether that's the community, whether that's your in-laws, your parents, but fear of judgment and condemnation of the group, uh, of the audience. So that was the first. That was the first um, section. Uh, today we're going to talk about fear in response to threat, fear as a response to threat. So we're going to kind of ask this question of. Um, or, or what we're going to hope to come out of this is when we feel afraid, when we're fearful, when we're nervous as parents. What ask the question: Do I feel threatened? Do I feel threatened? What is the threat that is causing me to operate out of fear and anxiety? And so, um, a couple of def- definitions. This is from the Baker Encyclopedia of Psychology. To break down is you have fear, anxiety, and anger. Um, so fear involves you know this sense of trepidation where you can discern an object you can you know I am in the woods there is a grizzly bear I am afraid (laughs) you know that there's your example there is a very clear discernible object of uh, of threat um anxiety is more of this kind of free-floating I just feel anxious inside and I don't exactly know why that's why they'll call it sometimes call it general anxiety um, or generalized anxiety because it's just like this general—I don't know. I just I'm in knots inside, but I can't exactly say why. So that's you know in this in this um, source uh, kind of what we mean by anxiety. And then finally anger. Uh, you know we said bad fear is um, bad fear um, involves control, and so one manifestation of that control can be anger. And that is where you identify the threat and your way of dealing with that threat is like going on the attack. And that might just be psychologically, like in your head, you're like, I hate this person or I hate this system or I hate this situation. Um, or it might be like, you know, the uh, the umpire who you feel has wronged your child. You feel the need to get up in the fence and be screaming at the umpire. Um, that would, you know, so so that that's, you know, anger is is... One response to a threat that involves like attacking, like actively addressing the threat. And so, so anyhow, those are just a few little definitions there. And so one of the things that I want to, the delineation I want to make here is threats that are legitimate versus threats that are idolatrous. Threats that are legitimate versus threats that are idolatrous. So now let's think about this. Let's think about some legitimate threats. Uh, let's say that um, the babysitter um, is driving your child around and they're not making him wear a seatbelt. Uh, you're going to be afraid and you're going to be angry. Is that legitimate? You bet your butt it's legitimate, <laughs> yes, it is absolutely legitimate. You know, um, You learn that a coach or a teacher or an older student at school is, you know, is a, is bullying and abusing your child? There's a threat. Is that legitimate? Yes, absolutely. That's legitimate. You should be. You should. You know, your fear there is a God-given fear, and your response there. You no, know, we want. We don't want to respond. Respond out of fear. We want to respond out of out of um, out of you know the operation of the Holy Spirit in us and out of wisdom. And like that is a legitimate threat, and that is, it is. You know, it is. Um, I think it is operating out of the image of God to be to, to you know to be afraid of that and to be angry, uh, so with that being said, like those are legitimate threats, and those are situations where that fear is of the lord um, now our, again we don 't respond out of fear, we respond out of the Holy Spirit, but still that what 's being brought to our attention is legit well then we have what we call idolatrous threats, and these are threats where Um, What's being threatened is not your child's welfare, your child's soul, your child's safety. Um, What's being threatened is your idols. Um, What's being threatened is really about you. It's not about your child or the situation. And so I think there are kind of two lanes to think about these idolatrous threats when it comes to parenting. Um, One is, I would say, a threat to our false identity. You now part of, that's, that's, just, that's just part of our um, part of idolatry, uh, and it's a part of our sin is that we all have false identities. We have false justification. There are things about us that we think make us a worthwhile, uh, lovable human being. Uh, and they' are either things that we've inherited that are status or that we're good looking or we have great hair or whatever it is. Um, or it's things that we have earned. So, you know, your false identity might be, you know, I am lovable because I'm really smart, or because I have a really good job, or because I make a lot of money, or because I'm from a certain family, or I live in a certain place, or because I was an awesome athlete, or because I'm really fit and I'm really healthy, okay? And so what we tend to do, some of these things might be positive things that are a gift of the Lord, but what we tend to do in our sinful nature is we tend to you make those the things that justify us, the things that make us acceptable before God and acceptable for others, that make us worthy. Um, and so um, being aware of your false identities is one of the most important things for your sanity in life. <laughs> and so, um, so with that being said, sometimes what's going on with your child is a threat to your false identity. A few examples that commonly come up. One may be that you were a great athlete. And you identify, like, you know what, I was, a, I was, I was and I am a great athlete. And um, your child is riding the bench. Your child is not a starter. Or, they, you know, or they're playing in the outfield, and you think they should be in the infield. And you are just, man, you are just mad. You are so mad about this. And in, you know, internally, you just resent the heck out of that coach. And you know, and you're tempted to get in there and lobby for your kid or do whatever. Look, I'll have to say one of the nastiest places, nastiest places of parental idolatry is the ball field. Um, yeah, I mean it's, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I get it myself. Um, but yeah, you hear stories of parents really flying off the handle, and. Going nuts on referees or getting in fights with other coaches and things of that nature. I wish I could say I'm the kind of person that could could not imagine doing things like that, but I, I am the kind of person who, um, yeah, who throws massive temper tantrums when my team is not winning. Um, but um, but anyhow, so the question there is, what's the threat? Like, is your child being legitimately threatened there, or is your is your identity being threatened? You, know, you you perceive yourself as like, we are a really moral, high-character family. We are really, um, we are really s- solid Christian people. That's our reputation in the community. And I got a kid who is wild as Friday night. I got a kid who gets in all kinds of trouble. He's into drugs. Who's in, you know, he's partying. He's running around with girls. He's you know, gotten in trouble with the law. And, you know, there is certainly a part of there where there is a legitimate threat that exists, like your, your threats, your child's safety and their health and that kind of stuff. And there's another lane of it where it could be our reputation is being threatened, okay? So that's an illegitimate threat at on, on the parental level. And so that, you know, if, if we are operating out of an illegitimate threat, that the, there's a good chance that we're going to relate to our child with our... With our best interests, the best interest of my reputation, uh, my false identity being preserved in mine. Um, then we also so that's kind of that, those are illegitimate threats related to false identity or false justification. And then we have um, threats related to our what uh, Julie Sparkman, who, uh, who did the, the curriculum um, Idol addiction, um, she calls a threat to our picture. know we have a picture we have an expectation of what life is going to be like we have an expectation of what our family is going to be like you know and and what Christmas and Thanksgiving is going to look like and what vacations are going to look like and um, you know our kids what they're going to look like and their lives are going to look like going forward and people are not getting more on board with our picture you know (laughs) like there, you know, we have these expectations, you know, and and we get angry and we get afraid. And really, what's going on there is we don't want to do life on God's terms, like we want it. We want our picture. We want life on our terms. Um, and when, you know, God and His providence has taken it in a direction that deviates from our expectation, um, built upon our idolatry, we get afraid. We get nervous. We get frustrated, right? And so, um, you know, an example of that may be uh, you have this uh, you have this image that your child is going to be really successful, and they're going to go to a really good college, and they're going to be really impressive. And your child is not interested in school at all. They're not interested in school, or they struggle in school. They're not interested in going to college. And there is there is a sense of threat to our picture, or You know, financially, like we're going to do. I would say, for me, here's here's my picture. My picture is, I love going on vacations, love going out to dinner, and so my picture is, you know, there's going to be enough that we can go on a, a, you know, a couple of cool vacations every year, and uh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and so then if something is financially threatening the picture, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine that. The picture, you know, that this is not going to be fulfilled. That's very first world, very first world. Um, but anyhow, that gives you an example of how our picture, when it's threatened, um, how we become afraid. We become afraid and we start to micromanage. All right, so we're going to look at um, talking about threats. We're going to talk about, first off, how do we discern, how do we delineate what's legitimate and what's idolatrous? Um, so that's the first thing. And then we're going to talk about how is it According to our definition of good fear versus bad fear, how is it that we, we, regardless of whether it's an illegitimate or a legitimate threat, how is it that we navigate it under God's love, wisdom, and guidance and not out of our sense of control and as the Lone Ranger? And so first, there are three things. We're going to look at a couple Psalms that that, uh, demonstrate this, but kind of three themes that you see in the Psalms. So in the Psalms, you often see David uh, lamenting and praying to the Lord and lamenting, th- lamenting to the Lord about threats that he sees. These may be uh, human threats, people who are trying to hurt him. Um, they could be you know, social threats in the sense people trying to damage his reputation. They could be physical threats, like, I'm a, I'm, I might die. Um, but you see that David is often engaging with the Lord because of threats that he perceives. And so you see a couple of trends um, in those Psalms. One is, first thing, one of the first things you see David do is that he laments and he processes the situation through prayer with God. Um, and so he, um, he is kind of, in a sense, identifying what is the threat. Sometimes we're afraid and we're not even really clear on what the threat is. You know, we need... Like, why am I so bothered by this? Why am I so afraid of this? What's really going on here? Like, we we are not very objective interpreters of ourselves. We're in fact, we're probably the least effective interpreters of ourselves. Um, and so that is why we need to go to God with us. That's why we need to, we need other people too. We need to process this with other, with other people. Um, but it's also why we need to pray, and we need to go to the Lord and process what is going on you know, Lord, what is, you know, prayer journal, uh, talk to the Lord out loud, just pray, whatever it is, whatever works best for you, um, is that we need to lament and process the situation with the Lord. And so when we do that, one, we can identify what the threat is. With the Holy Spirit can kind of help us understand at the bottom of our heart what the threat is. Second, that can help us delineate whether or not it's a legitimate threat or it's a idolatrous threat. Um, and so it's interesting, Ed Welch, he wrote this really nice little book um, through New Growth Press uh, about fear and anxiety. It's a um, it's, it's, it's devotional style book. Uh, but anyhow, he says, talk to Jesus, he listens. Listen to Jesus, he talks. <laughs> Pretty simple, but kind of good. Um, and so just an example here in this book about fear, you know, the first thing he says is talk to Jesus. Like process this with the Lord. Um, he'll listen. And after you've done that, you can listen to him and he'll, he'll through the Holy Spirit, however, he'll communicate to you um, to help you identify what the threat is. All right, second, after we've lamented and we process, we remember God's person and presence. Um, w- one of the biggest assurances that you see David looking for in, this, in, in these situations where he's afraid or there's a sense of threat is the reassurance that God is with him, that he's not alone. And I think that one of the, uh, it's interesting, the the correlation between, uh, or maybe that's not the word, the concurrence of fear and isolation. You know, a lot of times when we're afraid, we feel like, I'm all alone in this. Like, I, I, am, I am 100% on an island, what am I going to do? And so one of the things that Welch says is the first and most comforting thing to fear is to know that you're not alone that you have the presence of God. And you see all kinds of, you see a very strong correspondence between in the Bible when there is talk about fear, there is very often with that a reassurance of the presence of God. So you see in Philippians chapter four, verses five through six, it says, do not be anxious about anything for the Lord is at hand. God's with you. Don't be anxious, don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Um, You see in uh, Psalm 23, 23rd psalm how uh though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil why do i fear no evil because you're with me the presence of god is there and it's interesting i didn't uh bad seminary student but when it says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows i i I, um i never made the connection that being uh, oftentimes when a person would come to another person's house for fellowship and for, for a meal and to hang out, they would anoint that person with oil. Um, and so that was kind of like an initiation or a beginning or a sign of we're going to have, we're going to really bond tonight. We're going to connect. And so when it says that God um, prepares a table and that he anoints my head with oil, that's a promise of rich fellowship in the presence of enemies, in the presence of threats. And so um, so you can see, but it's twice there in the 23rd psalm, um, the reassurance of God's presence when there's the threat of evil, when there's the threat of enemies. So um, so yeah, God's person and presence. Uh, and that's a huge, I think that may be the biggest takeaway for this. This, this may be the, the, maybe the best thing we can take away is when we feel a sense of fear, particularly related to a threat, we want to process it with the Lord and we want to remember that we're not alone. We are not addressing this by ourselves. We are addressing this with, the presence of the Holy Spirit with the presence of a holy and loving God. All right, so that's one and two: uh, lamenting, remembering God's presence in person, and the third is to remember God's provisional grace for your needs. So you have this threat, and there's there is something that you're going to need relative to this threat. It might be protection. Um, it may mean that you need um, you need peace or you need wisdom. And there is the promise that God will provide what you need. God will provide what you need to peacefully walk through the situation. That's um, when I, uh, not to, well, you can take this for yourself, but when I um, am like on the scene in the immediate aftermath of some kind of tragedy, which is pretty typical if you, you know, work in pastoral ministry, that is generally the the you don't want to say a ton like i always say show up shut up show up again just just show up shut up don't try to say the right things and then like keep on showing up down the road um but the one thing i do say is uh i say look um do you think god can give you the grace to make it to bedtime tonight do you think god can give you the grace to make it through this day the person usually says yes Say so i was like, there you go. That's all you need. And like tomorrow when you wake up, you're gonna need God's grace to make it to lunchtime. And ask God for that grace. He'll give you the He'll give you the grace to make it to lunchtime. And then at lunchtime to dinner time, and from dinner time to bedtime, and at bedtime to sleep. But just bit by bit, trusting in the provisional grace step by step. And so there is the confidence. Of whatever the threat is to your child, whatever the threat is to your situation, like God's grace will be there. One step at a time. It's not the, the the grace that you need. Ten steps down the road will not be there, right now. It'll be there ten steps ten steps from now. But for the next step, God always gives you the grace. So, um, so let's look at Psalm 59, and you'll see this this pattern of lament, remembering God's presence in person, and God's provisional grace play out in a very linear fashion, which is a linear thinker I really enjoy. Um, so Psalm 59, starting in verse one, says, deliver me from my enemies, O God, protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from the bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me for no transgression or sin of mine. O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready awake come to meet me and see. So we can see here that he is taking the threat to the Lord. Um, he says there are people they want to kill me. <laughs> they are violent, they want to harm me, and he but he is taking this to God. Uh, a great quote is that anxiety is or sorry, worrying is praying to yourself rather than praying to God. And you can see that he is taking his fear to the Lord and he is processing it. He is naming God, this is the situation, help me. And so, you know, for us, that would be us. Whatever the situation is where you feel a sense of threat, taking that to the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, I find in my own life that a lot of times when I take the things that I'm, I'm worried about and that I'm feeling fearful about, when I take it to the Lord, just in naming the things before God, it dissipates the problem because I realize how absurd my fears are. <laughs> how absurd and shallow and stupid. My fears are. I'm like, really, really. Am I really worrying about this? Um, so, anyhow, all right. So you can see that he 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 um, he calls on God. He names the situation with the Lord. He's processing it before God in prayer. He's being honest. Um, next, he remembers God's person and presence. So, as we read this, look at all of um, all of the identifications of God's character and God's presence um, that he names. You, Lord God of hosts. So right there he is remembering the greatness of God, um, the God above all gods in heaven, our God of Israel. He's remembering that he's a covenantal God. He was made a covenant um, to love and to be gracious to and to be in fellowship with his people. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations, spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are bellowing with their mouths with swords in their lips for who they think will hear us. But you, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You hold all nations in derision. So th- th- he's, not, he's not saying that God's a bully or a jerk, but he's saying those who are, the, those who are against the Lord and those who are against his people, it's like these, they are no threat to you at all. Like you laugh at the idea that they could be a threat to you. But he says, but you, O Lord, laugh at them, da, da da oh, my strength, he's remembering that God is the source of his strength, I will watch for you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress. He's remembering God's promise that he's a protector, he's a defender. So you can see here that he is processed, and now he is going back to who God is, um, to who God is. And remember, when we talked about good fear versus bad fear, good fear involves the truth of who God is. And it leads us to a place of adoration of who the Lord is and and worship of who God is. And um, I heard someone say that we worship our way out of fear and we worship our way out of idolatry. Um, All right, so then last, he remembers God's provision. He says, my God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. So when he says steadfast love, whenever you see that in the Old Testament, that's referring to the guaranteed love of God, the love of God that is guaranteed by the covenant that God has made. So for us, as New Covenant people, we would say that the steadfast love of God is the love that has been secured for us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Like the assurance we have because Christ died for us and Christ has risen, that indeed, God is for me, God loves me, he has adopted me as a child of God, he has claimed me as his own. So it's not just like a love. It's like a hardcore, concretely guaranteed, highly promised love. Um, And he says that steadfast love, it will meet me. Like whatever the need is in this situation, the Lord, because of his guaranteed promised love for me, he will provide it. He will will provide for me. And he says, God will let me look and triumph on my enemies. Now one thing, you know when you see this talk of enemies in the Old Testament, an important delineation to make is in, the old covenant, you know, there was this talk, of, so there was this um, kind of agreement with Israel of like, "Hey, I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to be the God of your people, and those who are opposed to you, I'm going to be opposed to them, so long as you're faithful to the covenant." Um, now, they weren't very, they were not faithful to the covenant. <laughs> um, but uh, so he is talking about actual geopolitical enemies um, or opponents of David as a person. Well, for us. We in the new covenant, the geopolitical elements of it are not are not in play. Our enemies are the devil and death and sin. Those are our enemies. So in terms of you know transposing this promise of God will will not let me look and triumph on my enemies, He's not talking about the uh, opposing coach and team and the travel ball circuit. Um, you know, He's He's not talking about your business competitor. You know, I your, your business competitor might might run you out of business that could happen that there's there's no covenant promise that god is going to protect your business you know um but um but but in terms of sin death and the devil those enemies christ has claimed victory over them and 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 gives us the promise of that through the holy spirit so um so with that being said you can see this confidence in the provision of the Lord in particular through the, because of the character of God. All right, next, Psalm 91. Um, note in verses 5 through 6, note the threats here. Note, note the diversity of the threats here that are mentioned. You will not fear the terror of the night. So that's a psychological or a mental threat. Um, nor the arrow that flies by day, that's a physical threat. Uh, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, that is a health care threat nor the destruction that, was- that waste at noonday, that could, that could be a spiritual threat. Um, when you go up to verse 3 and it talks about, um, for he will deliver you from the snare of the, of the fowler, that would, that, would, that would be a social threat. Um, so you can see at all these different levels, all these different threats that are being identified in the psalm. He's lamenting well. Um, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Like the core of that promise there is the presence and the protection of God. The presence and the, the protection of our soul, the protection of our heart and our mind from the Lord. Um, and he says, the God most high, that's the use of the, of the Hebrew word el- elion, which means the God above all gods. So he's appealing to God's greatness. He says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So again, this promise of God's protection for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So, again, a promise of presence. He will cover you with his pinions. He will he um, he will he will cover you under his wings. So he is near to you. He is close to you. So the presence of the Lord is bringing comfort. And then he's, when he says his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler, that is then the promise of God's provision. Provi- provision of what you need. Um, and I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to just... I'm going to pause it there and let's do a quick little case study, okay? Um, let's say that um, let's say that uh, you are very, very nervous and you're very afraid about whether or not your child is going to make the volleyball team or the basketball team. and uh, you are spending the whole week, you cannot sleep. I know this is a very real thing, very real thing. I'm in no way, like, talking about this in a way that's, you know, small deal. Because, you know, it creates a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety for parents. All right, so how would we, according to this, how would we process this? You know, well, we would start out by, like, talking to the Lord about all those different racing thoughts that are going through your mind. Lord, I am so afraid that my child is not going to make the team. I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of my precious little baby girl, who is not she's she's not a volleyball player. But uh, but but I'm thinking about you know how real this would be. Lord, I am so afraid that she's going to get cut, and she's going to be feel so rejected. And she's already a middle schooler and has low self esteem because that's what it means to be a middle schooler. And this is just going to crush her. And several of her friends are going to make the team. And she is going to be left out and lose those friends. And those are good friends from good families. And Lord, and so I am processing with the Lord. I am doing my catastrophizing before the presence of God. All right? Being honest. He's gracious. He knows your heart already. It's just good to verbalize it to him. All right. So then next, I remember, you know what, God? I'm um, going to remember who God is. I'm going to remember his presence. Like, Lord, you know, you have a plan for my child's life. That is greater than, I don't know why it's helping me to close my eyes, Um, (laughs) but it is. Uh, You've got a plan for my child's life that is greater than their performance. Uh, And whether that's on the volleyball team or not on the volleyball team, like, Lord, you are sovereign, you are good, um, you are faithful. And Lord, if she doesn't make the team, you're gonna provide. Whatever that provision looks like, you're gonna provide. You're gonna provide, you know, a new activity, or you're gonna provide. More, more time to babysit or whatever. You're going to provide the path forward for my child if they don't make the volleyball team. And um, Lord, you're going to be with my child. My child may feel a sense of failure and rejection, but you're going to be with them. My child's not going to be alone, and I'm not going to be alone. And um, and Lord, uh, sorry. Let's we'll see here. Yeah, that's it. And you're and Lord, you're with me right now. You're with me right now. You're with her right now. And help us to move forward. And that way, hopefully, as you do that. The way that you're relating to your child is not going to be, you've ident- the threat is, the threat, you know, maybe you're afraid of your child suffering. Um, and and there are social threats and, and, you know, all kinds of threats there. For yourself, it may be, um, you, you know, the threat is that you just don't want to see your child in pain. No parent likes to see that. It's like the most miserable experience for a parent to see your child in pain. And so that may be what it is for you, you know, and like your child going through pain actually is good for your child. Builds resilience, builds character. That's where the Lord works. Um, But anyhow, you can just kind of see how we can walk through that so that as it pertains to this situation, uh, you can relate calmly, wisely, lovingly, and with your child's interest in mind, not yours. Where it's not about you, but it's about them. And that's the nature of love, is that we're focused on the needs of the other person. So that is one case study uh don't know where that one came from just made it up on the spot but anyhow um i'm gonna pray for us we're kind of out of time if anybody wants to hang around ask questions around the water cooler happy to hang out all right god thanks for um thank you for um, your presence thank you for your faithfulness thank you for your word and lord give us wisdom to identify um legitimate versus idolatrous threats uh, help us to love our kids well. And Lord, help us to operate in the peace of Christ that you've secured for us um, through your life, death, and resurrection. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Nasty ask Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.